Hello, friends. Today on the Eugene Absolute Podcast, I'm honored to speak with Dr. Carling Ursim. Carling is an old friend who seems to do it all. She's a longtime climber, an accomplished trail runner, a hardworking oncologist at UCSF, and finally, a devoted wife and mother of two beautiful daughters. Carling was kind enough to take some time out of a busy schedule to speak with me. And it was a delight catching up at all times, as well as learning about all her recent feats in the outdoors. This podcast was recorded some time back, but hope you enjoyed listening to it just as much as I enjoyed recording it. Carling, hey, how are you? Great, great to see you. Hey, listen, it's so good to see you in person. Several years have passed, and my last memory of us being outside, I think, was at Joshua Tree. Okay. Yeah, I don't know if you even remember that. It's been several years. uh, I think it was Thanksgiving. The few times I've been to Joshua Tree has, I think the majority has been around Thanksgiving. Oh, when we went way out to... Yes. Yes. Was it Paradise Valley? I can't remember the name of that particular area, but it was like... Long one of hike. the like, far reaches of J Tree. Yeah. Yeah, far reaches. The one thing I do remember about that that day with you was honestly like how how impressed I was. It, it, probably a very ordinary day for you, but honestly, how competently and effortlessly you were hiking. I mean, you you and Catherine are like both such endurance athletes, but I remember like I was in hiking shoes and I remember at one point I I, I think I got lost because I couldn't keep up. And you think you were wearing divas. You, know, you had these ordinary sandals and you were ah, still strolling in the neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, I, I. So we go to Joshua Tree at least once a year for like a week. We've mm. been doing it since college. And so it's <clears throat> like such a magical place to me that I feel very at home. And so I think I, because of decades of time, feel very comfortable traversing land in Joshua Tree. Awesome, awesome. Okay. Yeah, I mean, great segue, and also just a quick reset. Would love to learn a little bit more about yourself and your journey into the outdoors. Yeah. So, uh, just quick, where did you grow up? What was mm-hmm. some of your best memories of yeah. the outside? So, I grew up in Southern California. Kind of moved all over, but by junior high, I was in Southern California <clears throat> in a very not outdoorsy family. I like to joke that my mom thinks that the holiday and is roughing it. So like was not a family that did any of that sort of thing, but got really into snowboarding in like junior high and high school and had a group of good friends, particularly a couple of girlfriends that we were all got really into snowboarding. And in Southern California, we were not that far from Big Bear and Snow Summit. So we could get like some group of parents to drive us up and our local snowboard shop had a van that would take you up. And so like a lot of weekends in the winter got into snowboarding. And so then that kind of carried over to college. And when I first got there, I was kind of like, okay, snowboarders, these are my people. And so kind of sought that out. And then really through people I met from snowboarding, got introduced to all of the other kind of mountain sports. Got it. Okay. So that was like the gateway drug. That was snowboarding was definitely the gateway drug for me. Yeah. And I think Again, not having grown up in a family that particularly sought out the outdoors, 
like very quickly, I was like, I can't believe this is real life. Like I remember the first time I did like a little bit of backcountry snowboarding, just enough. It was like more just like off piece stuff where there was no people around and it was like an untouched bowl with fresh powder. And I was like, this is a movie set. Like, how is this real? Like, how do I actually get to be in this place in the world? And always much more loved, like the beautiful outdoor places that snowboarding took me mm. than caring so much really. Like I like snowboarding, but I didn't care about the snowboarding itself as much as it being like a vehicle to get to these beautiful places. That's such a great in. I I fell in love with being outside. I grew up in India and my my parents, mostly my dad would take us trekking. They used to call it trekking or really like supported backpacking trips to the Himalayas. And even though I think at that age I was a teenager, I kind of really did not want to be with my parents. It did instill me with like that same thing, like that love for being outside and being outside and also doing something which is like somehow physical in a way, whether, mm-hmm. I mean, that those is, is hiking. So for me, that was the <clears throat> genesis of like how it started. And now I think my parents are some, I think they've accepted it now that I like to take it maybe to a different kind of level with timing. I'm curious, how do your parents think of like, so this evolution of like calling the the outdoor lover, maybe, maybe reluctant snowboard, reluctant, like, maybe not reluctant, but like, do they think you would have done where you are these things with? Yeah, I think that they feel like the apple landed far from the tree. <laughs> but at this point, like, this has been who I am for most of my life now. So I think that they very much, like, in my family, like, I'm the outdoorsy one that likes to camp and like they all like to laugh about it but I think at this point it is it's so solidly a part of me and and I think a part of what they know of me as well that I don't think they they could even yeah could even separate it from who they know me to be at this point I'm curious let's say your parents meet up with old friends at a dinner party (laughs) and they ask them hey so what's calling up to does (laughs) Does ultra running picture in? It's a good question. I haven't, I have honestly, <laughs> I mean, I think right, they're parents and I'm a doctor. So I, I think there mm. is still a certain amount of that is what they probably talk about. I will say to give them a little bit of credit when, so when Scott and I got married, which is now, I guess, 11 years ago, I did a backpacking bachelorette trip, partly with the knowledge that the only way in my life I would ever get my mom and my sister to come backpacking would be as if I said, this is what I'm doing for my bachelorette trip. And they did. They slept, they hiked, they slept in a tent. We just, we did one night of wow. camping and then started hiking the next day and then did one night of camping and then hiked out the next day. But they did it. And I was so proud of them. And it meant a lot to me to have them get so out of their comfort zones to to do that with me. That is that's amazing, darling. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I can almost visualize this. I mean, your mom and your sister, I mean, they're hopefully having a great time outdoors, but they're probably, maybe especially mom, they're probably rejoicing on how they were able to contribute to something think, that means so much to you. And, and I think they were, 
Well, well, first they were a riot. Like my mom and my sister are so much fun and just like cracking jokes the whole time. And like they had like matching rhinestone jewel hats that they got for it and like, brought like their whole makeup kit. Yeah. And I carried most of their stuff. Like they cracked up about it. They were like flashing bat signals from their tent with their headlamps, like made a lot of laugh about it. But I do think that they also felt really proud of themselves for it was not like a super easy hike. I had misread the map a little bit. There was a lot more climbing mm-hmm. than I thought there would be. And and I do think that they felt really proud of themselves for doing it. And where was this? Where did this Santa Barbara. Be? Yeah, okay. kind of like the mountains outside Santa Barbara. Yeah. So it was like nice. not too remote or anything like that. But Okay. So not not the Himalayas. Maybe, maybe for uh, <laughs> a future li- life event. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Let's see. So one thing I wanted to also touch on is as we talk more about your running is I actually met you through climbing, right? Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. met through friends who climbed. We climbed at the gym together. We also climbed on that evocative Joshua Tree trip. So curious. So here you are. You're falling in love with the outdoors. How did that transition into maybe climbing, maybe other things you do that I don't know about? And then finally into into running. And I'm also wondering, like, did running and, and the outdoors happen separately or were they part of the same, like, big story? That's a great question. Yeah. My relationship with running definitely started as one of convenience. So I started climbing in college. I was a snowboarder and I wanted a summer sport was like really how that started. And then my now husband, then boyfriend, Scott, grew up in Sonora. So like right outside Yosemite. And oh, he was a climber through high school. And I had kind of heard about it, but he wasn't really actively climbing at the time that we started dating. And then around a year in or so, I was like, oh, this climbing thing like sounds like something I'd like. Why don't you take me? And then like he likes to joke like he created a monster. <laughs> because from that day forward, like every vacation, every day off, everything, I was like, well, climbing. I got... I got very, very into it. And I'm guessing this is like climbing outside, right? Climbing outside. Yeah. Yeah. Track. Got it. Got um, it. And like even, so the first climb he ever took me on was after six in the valley. Ah, yeah, of course. And yeah. Which so fun, but like him and then his roommate in college also was a climber. The two of them took me and the, he led the first pitch. And I remember him yelling down to his roommate and being like, Tyler, tell Carling what a hand jam is. It's like, I have no idea like what, what it was. And for context, after six is this, I guess one of people's first like multiple climbs in Yosemite, right? Which is actually, I think a five, seven, even though it's called Uh, after six. The reason is because the, whoever first did it started it at like 6 PM. It was like, it was like, okay easy enough climb that you could like do the whole thing after six was got it yeah i did got look it. into that because it is not a five cents you're right okay okay thanks for that i i used to think that was some sort of a funny joke on like the yeah. grade but good to know <laughs> that was because of the timing of the climb when uh-huh. it was first done got it so got it, it so like right away and it was just like I love everything about this. I love the physical movement <clears throat> part. I love being in these beautiful places in the mountains that you wouldn't yeah. otherwise have access to. But and yeah, and so I spent as much time as I could climbing for the next like decade or so. But like that was like my senior year in college that I started climbing. 
And then I, I took one year where I worked in DC for the FDA and then I started medical school. So there was not so much time for climbing, but I, we actually, I was lucky. So I went to medical school in New York. I was in Manhattan, but not far from the gunks at all. Um, and so did a lot of climbing actually for being in medical school. That's how I met Dave Yoon is when we both yes. lived in New York. Yes. Um, and that's kind of how, how we, I think, ultimately met kind of through that friend group. And so wasn't the gunks like every weekend, spring, summer, and fall. Every weekend that I was not in the hospital, I was in the gunks. And so did actually still do a pretty good amount of climbing then. And we like took a trip to Thailand and okay. uh, did a lot of time back. And you get a summer off your first summer in medical school. So I spent that whole summer in Yosemite. Oh, okay. So yeah, I managed to. Were you literally like like living in Yosemite that summer? Or? Well, fortunately, Scott's family was still in the like Sonora's foothill area. Sure, we were doing all of the like shady camp for camping. Oh, okay, stuff. okay. And then we like occasionally go to his mom's house and do. Got like- it. Okay, I did not know that. I did not know that. I guess you pursued. Climbing that obsessively, yeah. Uh, summer of dirtbag life, yeah. But it was like of, a summer of dirtbag life when I was in med school. So like, <laughs> dirtbag life slash like best life. <laughs> any any goals you had with climbing, calling that either either you accomplished and you're proud of, or you're like, hey, when I have time <laughs> back for climbing, yep. after running or something else, you would like to take those off. Yeah, I, yeah, so I very much am in the, like, there are seasons of life and seasons for sports mindset. And so I very strongly believe that I have another climbing season at some point in my life. My guess is probably when my kids are a little bit bigger and hopefully they enjoy climbing too. And kind of towards the end of, of my kind of peak climbing time, I did get into big wall climbing and we climbed at regular route on half dome, but never did El Cap. And I definitely still have a big part of me. I actually had told myself that before I got pregnant, I would climb El Cap. And then it just like a lot of stuff, mm-hmm. life. And I didn't get to. And so that is very much still on my list. And I, yeah, I very much think that that, that time will come again. Okay, awesome. Well, I mean, sometimes maybe it's, 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 I guess it can be a good thing to not accomplish all your goals right, right yeah. away because you want that kind of fire further yeah further ambitions <clears throat> okay uh, let's talk a bit more about running or maybe maybe you want to talk about a little bit about how did you get into running here you are obsessively climbing all over the world somewhere in Yosemite maybe a winter spent around uh, Krabi in Thailand and uh, dreaming off and accomplishing some of your climbing goals how did we uh get into uh running yeah totally uh, again like love the one you're with attitude so i went to residency in north carolina which is very flat and not a lot of mountains actually i'd like to beg to differ oh. because i lived in, there for five years yeah. oh where did you live yeah i wasn't i was in charlotte and okay. i actually discovered i did some climbing pre-charlotte but i really got into it uh in Charlotte, with uh, regular trips to West Virginia. Mm-hmm. That's, I really actually credit West Virginia or the New York course to teaching me how to climb. 
But but North Carolina is not as flat. Maybe maybe the maybe RDU is a bit flatter than like the Blue Ridge Mountains and whatnot. That's so funny. So because I so a year between college and medical school, I lived in DC. I did a bunch of climbing at the new and Franklin and all those West Virginia crags and loved it. It was so much fun. Which which years were you climbing at the new? Really just one year. It was 2006 to 2007. Ah, okay, got it. So mine was 2004 to six. So we, we overlapped just okay. a little bit. So yeah, you were like DC, then you moved to- North Carolina, to... Yep. so it's in Durham. Yes. And in addition to the, there's not like a lot of trad climbing, although I'm sure there's some, I was a resident. And so I had like a crazy schedule. I was working 24 to 30 hour shifts every third day and- the closest climbing gym was like a 30 minute drive. And so I just like didn't have that amount of time. And a friend of mine who was living in San Francisco was like, and I'd never, never was a runner. I always thought I had bad knees was like, Hey, let's do the uh, San Francisco marathon. And this was like January and the marathon was going to be in July. And I was like, okay, this is like a good kind of vehicle for me to learn how to run. I'm very much of the mindset of like not trying to reinvent the wheel. So I was like, I'm going to like do some research, find like a running school of thought, do some training, get some coaching. Like that's generally kind of how I go into things. And so I found chi running, which is just one of the kind of like midfoot stance running techniques. It's very similar to kind of most of the modern ones that have been in the more like minimalist shoe era of like a midfoot strike, not heel striking, a more minimalist shoe, a faster cadence. But that's kind of the one that I found. And so I like read the book. They've got like videos. I got a, I went to some workshops. I had a coach like watch me run and give me feedback and, and spent really that whole first seven months really learning how to run with different form than what I had tried before, which was probably just like heel striking and this is super interesting. So you mentioned one thing you mentioned is you, you said you had bad knees, right? Right, thought so I had bad knees. I just had that. You, you thought you okay. You thought you had bad knees. <laughs> so you might have. So you it sounds like you might have dabbled a little bit in running. Yeah, like would occasionally I don't know do a turkey trot or something like that. Okay. Yes. Yes. Not but then when when you what made you want to sign up for like this this marathon then? Yeah, I think no. It, it's just so efficient, like particularly being a resident being like, okay, I've got like an hour a day that I could do something mm. and I want to be outside during that time. From your front door and back in an hour running, you can have an awesome run. And I, I guess between these, I was also doing a bit of cycling, but it takes a long, like to get a good ride in is a few yeah. hours. Yeah. Um, and I just didn't have that amount of time. Plus the North Carolina roads, like a lot of there's, there's like these beautiful backcountry roads and people are really not aware of cyclists. And mm. it was scary. I was like, I, I don't want to die road biking. So I got to find another sport. I'm not a runner, though I just used to run a little bit. At, at least my excuse of not stopping running was bad news. <laughs> and I, I do, I still love, like some people say when they don't, like a lot of people who don't run, they 
often fall back on that classic, like, oh, I just hate running or whatever. I do not hate running. I don't know if I'm cut out for like super long races, but I did love the theory and the efficiency of like, let's say you have 40 minutes before you have to change and I don't know, run to the airport, right? And you can put those shoes on and like hop Anywhere. out the door and like get that great buzz. So how did that marathon go? Uh, it, I loved it. I'll say that the, the training was difficult because I, a July marathon in San Francisco works great because July in San Francisco is a great running temperature, mm. but it meant that I was having all my longest training runs in North Carolina in like June and July. And mm. it was so hot. And I, yeah, <laughs> there, there's a reason that they don't do marathons in North Carolina in July. So that was a learning East Coast lesson. heat and humidity, right? At, at its best. Yes. But I loved it. Like loved the first marathon, was totally hooked from there and was immediately like, okay, what's the next one I'm going to do? I wish, I wish we, were, we were buddies back back in those days the longest i've ever run really is i did a half i did a half marathon and my approach could not have been more different i signed up for this race because there was a team from my company at work <laughs> that pulled people together i was like oh, okay that sounds like fun so i did a half in charlotte i think this was 2002 or three mm-hmm. and basically no training whatsoever right <laughs> and i just remember like for two days Feeling like, yeah, feeling like uh, somebody had taken my legs and put them through, uh, I don't know, the washing machine or something. (laughs) (laughs) It was like, I loved it. And I was like, if I'm ever doing this again, I would have to do something different. So I think, I think your mentorship would have been handy. So you, you trained for this Mm -hmm. in, in like hot climate, but the race was in San Francisco. Yeah. Yeah. The race was San Francisco, so it was way cooler. Um, and so it went great. I had a ton of fun and I love with running. You can see so much in like a fairly short, like when you ran like all of San Francisco, you do the, it's the Golden Gate Bridge, you go over and back, um, you go through so many different neighborhoods. And I think that also was kind of what opened my mind to that part of running of like, oh, wow, this is a way that you can see a lot in a kind of short amount of time. Curious, like, given that you hadn't ever maybe run a marathon, or did you, like, how did you do in the race, like, performance-wise, and how did you feel after completing it? Did you you perform up to, like, expectations? I didn't, I'll be honest, I didn't really have any expectations. Like, it was my first. And I, yeah, I think I, I don't remember, it was a four- I did four or something, which I think like for a brand new runner was great. I think I was kind of like middle of the pack, just where I thought I would be and felt good after. But I didn't have any particular expectations. I was, I very deliberately went into it just being like, my goal is to not get injured. Got it. Okay. That's uh, keep those expectations low. Maybe not so low. People do get injured, but yeah, that's a good goal to have. And then everything else is just a bonus. <clears throat> Interesting how you speak about loving the one you with. And I just realized I have a sort of a slightly similar story, which is I started surfing back in 2008, somewhat reluctantly back then. 
mostly because I was just tired of commuting to climbings, multiple mm-hmm. hours going to Sonora, Yosemite, et cetera. And then also I was new to San Francisco and I felt like I had no life between commuting to work in the peninsula. And then, and then, and then I started surfing and then gradually like that thing just took over, right? Like you get into it because I'm like, Hey, I, I want that. I want the adventure. I want all of that 20 minutes away from my house. But then I, the more I got into it and then very slowly, I, I, I think I must, I might be one of the slowest learners to have, to have, to have sur- slow, but stubborn. Right. I actually fell in love with it. Right. And then mm-hmm. it, for, for, for a long time, it kind of became a driving push passion so curious like did, did that is that the same to you for running where like you know what i'm doing this because i can't go climbing all the time mm-hmm. this is efficient you know it checks the boxes so curious like I, how did that yeah. then uh, you very, know move very forward? Yeah. first i will say i'm so jealous because i wanted that to happen with surfing because it's it's the wilderness closest to us right like living mm-hmm. in the bay like it it is all of the things i love about wilderness and it's right there like mm-hmm. you have to commute to it and I wanted to to love surfing and to learn to surf. And Scott and I actually took an, a trip to Nicaragua for a week because I don't like to be cold. I really don't like cold water. And so I was like, okay, let's go somewhere that the water's warm. And maybe then I'll like fall in love with surfing and then want to mm. keep doing it when we come back and, and won't mind so much the cold. And I just didn't. I really wanted to. Um, it just wasn't my, it wasn't my thing. And I'm very jealous because... I think surfing is so awesome and and you do get to like explore such a beautiful part of the world, like getting to be on the ocean. And yes, I'm jealous of that, but I just don't really like being in the water. <laughs> well, <laughs> um, but anyway, you, you found other ways to suffer. But it was very similar in that I started it, yeah, out of convenience. And yeah, I've always loved exercise like I've always been someone who's like I'm gonna do something every day and then fell in love with it I think even more so once I moved back to California and particularly really started trail running like I loved running when I was road running but I think it's really when I started uh, switched over to trail running that it that I really became passionate about it and it became more of just like a thing that I'm doing because I can't climb and more like I'm choosing to do this because I love it so much. Got it. Okay. So, yes. So, you marathon happened and then you started trail running, which sounds like the marathon was maybe more urban, the one that you did, but then you started discovering these uh, these trails around. And Yeah. Uh, I kind of had a few more years of road running. So, I, I okay. did that and then did kind of the natural progression. I think of road running, which is like the like, I want to qualify for Boston. And so like did a bunch of training and, and a few more road marathons to do mm. that. But all that was kind of all while we were still in North Carolina. And then I um, started my fellowship in San Francisco. And so we moved back here. And the first, I don't know, probably six months or so was still doing a lot of road running. And then at some point around there, Thomas actually invited me to go on a trail run in the headlands oh, okay um, and that is what like changed it all the, f- the very first run out there it was like so foggy and cold and gray like it was like is this fog or is it actively raining like that whole yeah. thing and from like the first step i was like oh this is it like the i love this and i remember 
him and this this other buddy Patrick that we were with, like the whole time I was just like, this is so awesome. But we like couldn't even see each other because it was the wind was blowing so hard. And they were like, oh, like we were worried that you wouldn't like it because this was like miserable weather, but I'm glad you had a fun time. Yeah, the San Francisco fog is it, it it's magical and I think it's all about like one's approach. One can choose to complain and whine about it being cold and misty in summer or one can like you did which is marvel and enjoy that sensation of being in this incredible natural phenomena mm-hmm, mm-hmm. again you get to really just be in it like when i feel like the i i mean i have come to love the fog a lot i do live in it <laughs> but but i but because you get to run above it and below it like over the course of so yesterday I did a run up TAM with a friend and we must have gone in and out of the fog like five times and you go above and then you look down on the inversion layer and you go below and it's foggy. And then, but it's like so amazing that you get to like really interact with weather. Totally. One thing I was curious on, like through in this, in, in your running journey, right? So again, drawing a slot parallel to cross climbing, obviously we have goals with climbing and we have goals which are often very personal. But one of the things that drives me and many of us is the community that we find, right? Like shared goals, these trips, very time intensive kind of sport, but doing it together is a huge part of it. Was that true for you with with running and, and now ultra running? Like we have friends in common who who run and I think you run with them and, and your husband, Scott, I mean, he runs as well. So how much importance would you give to that aspect of running to having kind of pushed you this far yeah that's I think it is very different in climbing from climbing in that like by definition you have to have a partner to climb or for most most climbing the climbing that I was doing and and I think that does make it such more of a kind of group activity mandatory Uh, mandatorily so right yeah I, and as we're part of the reason I got into running is because I could just do it on my own schedule. And, and it's to some degree, that's still the case. Like there is such an amazing running community, particularly here in the Bay area. And I've gotten more involved in it and I would love to be more involved and active in it than I am. But my schedule is just so limited. Like I run from like five thirty to seven in the morning. And that's really the only time that I have. And I, and I don't even have a lot of flexibility of like driving somewhere to meet someone for a run because like I have to be back in my, like if I drive 10 minutes each way to run, then there goes 20 minutes off my run. Like I have a pretty tight schedule. And so it's, I'm delving more into the trail running and running community. And there is such an awesome one, but I, it's nowhere near the way that climbing was, but I think that's, much more to do with kind of my own life and not to do with the trail running community. Got it. Right. And I think people really don't know about the multiple fronts that you you manage. So give us a sense of what a typical like day or week in Carling's life looks like. Yeah. There's no typical day. So I'm an oncologist, so I have like a pretty demanding job. And then my husband's an ER doctor, so he also has a demanding job, but it's also very different. Like every day, he, every week is different. His shifts are different. And then we have two kids, ages six and three. And so 
yeah, our like our schedule, we live by our Google calendar <laughs> and it's planned out like many, many months in advance. I'm always saying like anything is possible if we plan ahead of time, like we can make anything work, but it just, everything requires so much pre-planning. So most days I get up like between five and 5.30 and that's my time to run. And then usually I get home and like do a quick turnaround and get to work. Scott often doesn't work until 2.30 or so, but his ER shift is more like the swing shift. And so he takes, gets our kids up, does breakfast and everything with them, takes them to school. And then I am at work all day and then usually pick them up around like 5 or 5.30. And then he's at work then. So then I get them home to dinner, get them to bed, get the house cleaned up, usually maybe have a little bit more work to do. And then like, I try to get in bed at a pretty by like 9.30 or so, since I'm typically getting up by 5, 5.30. So there's like not a lot of wiggle room. Got it. Um, <clears throat> yeah, sounds sounds very uh, tightly calendared. <laughs> yeah, I, I, someday maybe, although I've always been like a, a planner. So it's, some of it is me. But someday I think maybe we'll live a life where you can like, be like, oh, what are we going to do this weekend? We'll just... Fly by the seat of our pants, but that's definitely not my life right now. And this again, like I think it just adds just more credence to some of the decisions you made around where you live. Because you can live in San Francisco and you can still go on great runs, but like you said, sometimes you might have to drive mm-hmm. to get to those trailheads, but then you chose to move to literally the mountains in one of the most beautiful places in California to Marin where you can even cut down on those commute to trailheads. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's like, I don't know, maybe 200 feet from my garage to the trailhead. There's like such a lesson here where if you really want to pursue these kinds of goals, like you really have to figure out like where you can akin to maybe the ultra hiker or ultra backpackers who's snipping like ends of their toothbrushes right (laughs) yes that is exactly Um, the time management of my life absolutely yeah 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 we didn't even get to some of these things i wanted to really ask about which is again getting back to running love to hear what might be some of your your proudest achievements they may not be your longest run so Mm -hmm. would love to hear about those as well i know that you also said a few SKTs mm-hmm. in running parlance, right? Fastest known time. So maybe, maybe speak about that for a little bit. Yeah. I, I'll say, so currently I'm in a place with running where I just have so much gratitude, like for the ability to run, but because it brings me so much joy. And especially in the context of all of crazy life and the crazy world around us, the amount of just joy and centering that I get from running is immense. And because of that, like I recently, particularly with these long runs, I'm so grateful that I get to be there doing it. And so I think that the things that have probably been like my, I don't know, best athletic performances have been the days that I'm most grateful for that the weather worked out. I didn't have any injuries. I got to the starting line. I didn't have GI issues. So I could eat everything that I needed to eat. That grandma came and watched my kids. I could be out there and go do the run. Like, and then, so by the time I'm running, like, I'm just so grateful that I'm there and that it's happening. 
that it's not like, like that's not really the, the effort. And so most of the, the days that have probably been like my, I'd say best athletic performances when I, even like while they're happening, that's the way that I feel. So like this year I ran the Miwok 100K and I, I haven't done many races in the, I guess a lot of people haven't done many races in the last few years, really just been getting more seriously into trail running before the pandemic. So most of my longest runs have been like self-supported adventure runs or like FKT attempts and not formal races. So this was kind of the first like big race I had really done. And I placed fourth, which I was so excited about, had no idea, like was just hoping to come in under the cutoff. And I think that was probably like one of my probably bigger physical achievements, but it like, it didn't feel like, like an effort. Like it just, I mean, it was physical effort. Like I, by the end, I was like, oh my God, am I going to collapse? But it didn't, it didn't feel like mentally hard. Like I think that, and so I don't feel proud as much as I feel grateful that the days that I feel proud of are just like all of those hundreds of training days that I got up at 5.30 and like ran alone in the dark in the fog and like just like put in all of those miles. Like those are the days that I'm like, wow, like that was really hard and I'm really proud of myself for doing it. The day of the event is just like, okay, now I get to enjoy the fruits of of this labor. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it's such such a culmination of everything that has gone in. The training time put in, the life organization <laughs> that has also occurred. Wow, that's such such great attitude. Like just just to be able to be at the running line, mm-hmm. knowing that those eyes were dotted and the teeth mm-hmm. were crossed with with family, with work, to be able to allow you to get there. And then you, when you, I think when you get to the start, starting line, I mean, you're just so happy that you can do this, that maybe how well you do. I mean, obviously that's super important, but that, uh, that's almost gravy. Yes. It's, that's exactly the way to explain it. Like, it's just gravy. Like, I'm just like so happy that I get to be out there. And I even like feel so grateful that I can be in the physical shape to like allow me to do these things. So two weeks ago, I guess not quite two weeks ago. Scott and I ran the Timberline Trail, which is, it's 40 mm. miles. It goes around Mount Hood for our wedding anniversary. And it was just like such a fun day, but miles 20 through 30 are like gorgeous, flowing downhill mm. on like this nice soft surface and just like very, very enjoyable running. And I just kept thinking like, I'm so grateful that I'm like in the kind of shape that at 20 miles, I can be like, oh yeah, like I can like, kick it up a notch and run fast and just like enjoy the heck out of this. You did the the high Sierra Trail, right? Uh-huh. Yes. Does that also stand out as one of your more like proud? Uh... I mean, it's the hardest thing, physical thing that I've ever done in my yeah, life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I first heard about the high Sierra. So the high Sierra Trail is a trail that goes from Whitney Portal uh, up over Whitney and then traverses the entire Sierra's east to west, and then finishes in Sequoia. So you you literally go like east to west across the whole range. That's crazy. And I think a lot of people do that as a backpacking trip. Yeah, they do it as and, a and, as, like, as like a strenuous backpacking trip, particularly if you include going and climbing up Mount Whitney as yeah. part of that. Yeah. But yeah. you did all of that in one run. Yes. Uh, yes. No big deal. Um, 
So uh, the idea first came up like a couple years before. Again, I think talking with Thomas about just like what would be cool things to do. And at the time that we first talked about it in my head, I was like, no way. I was mostly running like 50Ks at the time. And I didn't think that with my life that I would actually just have like enough hours a week to train for it. And then some probably this past like December, I kind of just was like, no, like it was like the climbing phrase. I was inspired by the line. I was like, this is so cool to just like go over the highest point in the continental US and completely traverse a mountain range. But, and I was like, I want to do it. And I'm willing to put in the amount of work that I think is going to be required to do it. And so starting from January, and then I did it on July 10th, it was like my singular focus. And I trained very, very hard and, and, and really did like focus a lot of my life energy on it made sure that I was like going to bed early every night so that I could like be in the state to be able to train. Didn't really like have a beer for like any of those six months. Cause I would could tell if I like had a beer and that my runs weren't just good the next day for like the final two months before it, we rented an altitude tent. Oh, and, like left in an altitude tent. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, was very kind of Scott that he, because <laughs> he was not doing this run. So he just like slept crappily for two months sharing this altitude tent with me and um, this ox- oxygen uh, sorry this high altitude tent is this one of those where you have forced oxygen like deprivation for like yeah overnight basically while you're sleeping okay. so it's just okay. pushing low oxygen air into this tent that you put over your bed got um, it that then the eight-ish hours a night that you're asleep you're being exposed to low oxygen because I knew that like of this 72 miles 35 of the miles are above 10,000 feet yeah Historically above 10,000 feet, I have had a hard time that I get really nauseous and I like thrown up on a bunch of runs above 10,000 feet. So my hope was that this would help. And did it? So it, it helped aerobically. Like I could tell, like I was running above 10,000 feet, not really feeling short of breath. In that regard, I could tell that it really helped. I still was really nauseous that whole run. And that was part of I mean, 72 miles with like 15,000 feet of elevation, like that's going to be hard no matter what. But I, this was like the worst GI distress that I've ever had during a run. And I think a lot of it was the heat. It was very, very hot that day. And so I had a really hard time keeping calories and fluids, really getting them down. Um, And then I think you get into this downward spiral of like you're dehydrated, which makes you nauseous. So then you don't drink, which makes you more dehydrated, which makes you more nauseous and it's hard to get out of. So I don't know if like the tent only worked for the aerobic part and didn't help with the nausea mm-hmm. part, or if just like it was a really hot day and I got dehydrated and it had nothing to do with the altitude. Sure. Um, hard to say, but it was, it was the hardest thing that I have ever done. Even now, which is awesome because I did it. And so I do like coming out of that, have a lot of confidence for life in general like any sort of hard challenge. I'm like, I've done really hard things. I can do that. Like, like I, I do think that I gained, I gained a lot from doing hard things and gain a lot of self-confidence that kind of spurs me towards the next thing. But most ultras, I mostly enjoy it. It's like, I was joking with somebody that like, most of these are like a lot of enjoyment punctuated by periods of intense suffering. This was like, intense suffering punctuated by periods of enjoyment. It was really hard. Okay, sure. 
my mind still boggles. Just to just to restate a couple of things about this run, East Sierra's east to west, mm-hmm. 72 miles mm-hmm. and 15,000 feet mm-hmm. of elevation gain yeah. or change. Gain. Gain, okay. Which that sounds like, yeah, I mean, just to just just to put things in context, like, that would be, let's say, starting from sea level and maybe going, yeah, going to the top of Mount Whitney. That's, that's part of it is that it is front-loaded with the elevation because you start at Whitney Portal, which is only like, what, four, five, maybe? It's not very high, and then you go up. So, like, um, it is very front-loaded with the elevation gain, which yes. is helpful. Got it. Okay, so you do the hardest bit at the beginning when you're yep. maybe more fresh and then the right. rest of it is. Okay. Now, so you, you accomplished maybe the most demanding physical feat, right? Of your life ever. ever this far, thus far. And you put an intense amount of effort training for it. Curious on what are some of the sacrifices to pursue this run? And maybe actually more broadly, in life that you do for this and not just for you, but from also your family. Yeah. How do how does Carling and Carling's family come together to support these goals? Yeah. I mean, this is something I have definitely thought about afterwards because it is after you know six months of like pretty focused training, it takes about a month to like mentally get out of it. Like to be like, oh, I could have a beer. I could, I don't know, stay up 30 minutes late talking to Scott because like I don't have to like make sure I go to bed on time to make sure that I get up on time and there yes there definitely is a good bit of sacrifice from everyone I think probably mostly Scott in that I don't have any downtime to hang out I'm just like every every minute is already spoken for is where when I I'm always kind of training for something like like it's it's not like I'm ever, I don't know, totally not training. In my head, at least I'm always kind of training for something, but not not to this degree. And I think, yeah, I think probably just the rigidity of like, mm-hmm. I can't stay up late tonight. I'm getting up early tomorrow. Like like this and and we can't change for that. I think also the social life of like, I mean, not that we're going out clubbing or anything these days, but just like hanging out with friends i'm like oh it's nine o'clock guys i gotta go like (laughs) that is probably the the i would say the biggest sacrifice is just that like every i'm someone who very much sticks to my schedule sure Um, and and when i'm really training hard don't have any flexibility in that which on the one hand like it's effective like i achieved my goal which is awesome and it felt great but I don't. I wouldn't want to live quite so rigidly all the time. Like I do think that it's important to back off and um, just be a little bit more flexible for periods of time as well. Fair enough. Like, f- fair enough. One has to be a little compassionate to oneself and, <laughs> and one's uh, partner. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, and and and, and the family. What are maybe? Some routines that you follow, Carling. We'd love to hear a little bit about your diet, a little bit, any kind of cross-training, yeah. any other things that you do. 
help you train, but then also keep like motivated. Mm-hmm. But, well, first I'll say I have a coach but, who's wonderful. Her name is Sarah Scazzaro. She's through Carmichael training or CTS. And that was a really a game changer for me. I think there was like a, I think a pretty clear inflection point of my running around the time that I started with her. And I think that coincides with the time that I unfortunately stopped climbing. I, I think it is, I think you can have a demanding job and a family and one sport, but I think it's really hard to have two. And so like my running really kind of moved to a different level when I like pretty much stopped climbing. And I, again, I know that I have another climbing season in my future someday. I, I look forward to getting back to it at some point, but it's not right now. And so unfortunately, so I don't do as much cross training as, as I used to when I also, cause I used to for years still climb like two or three days a week and then ran probably four ish days a week. So mm-hmm. but now I run six days a week and I do one day a week of strength training. Ah, okay. So Got it was, it. yeah, like a significant shift. And so I have a uh, coach who makes my schedule for that. And so, yeah, I do one day of strength training that she sends me a schedule each week of like what mm-hmm. I'm doing and ties it in with how intense my running week is. So if it's like a really yes. intense running week, then it's a less intense strength week. And then during some of the time, I also have like a second day of the week that I do maybe like a shorter run and then also a short strength training, depending on like okay. where in my training schedule I am. It's a luxury, but something that for me did make a very big difference. I've like read a lot of how to train for an ultramarathon type books. And so in my head had been like, oh, like what, what difference does it make to have a coach make your schedule? Like they, I can do that. I've read all these books, but it it does actually make a big difference because she does more than just makes the schedule, right? Like she knows how to adjust it based on what Mm -hmm. I tell her is going on and the rest of my Mm -hmm. life, how the running is going and so that I think for me has been huge. I'm guessing like your interaction with this coach, is this coach in person with you often or is it more no, that you never share met. your data with them and then they send you this program? And it's really interesting what you talked about getting coached. So I actually, had, I got a coach a couple of months ago for climbing. Mm-hmm. Never had that. Most of us are like proverbially sort of self-coached. I also devour like a ton of media on like, and training for climbing has also come such a long ways. Yeah. But just having this coach and, ha- and knowing that Rosalind's got my back. Yeah. So she's based out of the UK mm-hmm. and she sends me the same thing. She sends me like a weekly planner. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, it takes so much guesswork out of what yep. the things I'm supposed to do. Yep. It's just like, just like, just simplify And I think she doesn't know this yet, but in some ways it's also almost like therapy in a way, because I can be like, oh, I didn't think it was great. And I didn't like, didn't like this. And this is happening. It's fine. Hey, you can have an off week. And so it's nice to actually have a sounding board, which I don't want to yeah. subject like other people in my life to. Yeah. It's, I think it's invaluable. And for me, when the alarm goes off at 5 a.m., in my head, I'm like, maybe today should be a rest day. Like if it was me making the schedule, right? But if it's my coach made the schedule, I'm like, no, this is not the rest day. Okay, like I, I'm going to get up and do it. And definitely, I think I have so much trust in her. And so particularly like going into Miwok, I, mm. I was like, I've done everything she told me to do. Either I'm going to do okay at this or she's a bad coach and I know she's not a bad coach. So 
it also like gave me some confidence. But and having that sounding board, like I remember being really nervous before a few different things. And I remember her just being like, Carly, you're a strong runner. Yeah. And I was like, that was exactly what I needed you to say. Thank you. Like that, yeah. there's a lot of, of value that coaches bring beyond just like making the schedule. That's, that's awesome. You mentioned cross training. You mentioned you do some strength training. You also mentioned earlier that you, at least you felt way back when you had bad knees, any other kind of like mobility work, et cetera, that you do? Are you, are you, are you foam rolling every night before you go to bed? Yeah. I, I will give the caveat that I absolutely should do more and wish and wish that I did more. I try to do one minute per leg of foam rolling at the end of every run because I, I, I've, I've seen various PTs over the years to try to come up with a good routine of like things that I should do. Cause again, my, my overarching goal with running is like to still be doing this in 20 years. Like I just don't want to get injured. I want to mm-hmm. more than any particular speed or like other goal. And one PT was like, really, all you need is just a minute per leg. And I was like, yes, that is something that I can actually do. Like, <laughs> so I do try to do that after every run. I'll, I'm probably successful, I don't know, 70% of the time, but like two minutes. Okay, I can do that. Yeah. And then I go in Mill Valley. There's a kind of running focused chiropractor called Mount Cam Sport and Spine. And I go to him about one, once a month for like a general tune-up. And that has been super effective. When I'm regularly doing that, I tend to not get injured. So that seems to work. And then other than that, no, I, again, I wish I did more. Like I used to, back when I was climbing a lot, I also used to do a ton of yoga and I used to be able to like put a block behind my seat and put your hands over it. And now like I can barely touch my toes. Like I, I definitely have lost a lot of flexibility but that seems to have been okay. Yeah, I mean, it's all about like focus, right? I mean, you you have yeah the strength and the mobility for where you need it to be. I think for the sport that I'm doing, yeah, and sounds like you're doing enough things to at some point, if you need to come back and gain more of that, you can probably put in the time. Yep, and uh, and the one day a week, it's not just strength. Like there's some mobility stuff in there as well. Got it. Just some fun, fun questions. Let's see. In the last several years, can you think of like any new habit, maybe a, a new behavior that has most profoundly improved? I, I like that question. I did think about this one. I feel like since I've had kids, I've much more adapted a like YOLO mentality of like, I only have this chance, right? Like, mm. and even... So after I had Josie, I was still trad climbing quite a bit. And I remember pre-kids trad climbing, you'd get scared and you'd like go up, place a piece, like down climb, like think about it, like feel the stuff out, go back up. And like, and I backed off with way more things. And then after I had her, I was like, okay, I've got three hours that I get to climb. And like grandma's watching her, so that I get to climb. Like, I'm just going to do this. Like I, and I was like such a more confident leader. <laughs> and backed off of so many less things because I was like this is it this is my chance right like I think the same thing is true now like I don't have all day to like think about oh am I going to go for my run where am I going to go I'm like okay this is this is my chance to go for something I'm going to go for it and I think the same has been true for like FKTs and kind of like any of these 
opportunities to do some cool run or race is that like, okay, I've got to, if I've got the chance to do it, I'm just going to go for it because this chance may not come again. All right. And Colleen, how old are you? I'm 38. 38. You know what? And I am, I'm 44 now. And this also hit me in the last few years that I'm not going to put off things mm-hmm. for like some future date if I have a chance to, to accomplish them soon. Yep. What is maybe the best gift that you have received and maybe a gift that you've given to somebody else who found it invaluable? Think about that. I mean, it's definitely going to be some sort of like opportunity or time or more than like a physical thing. Um, you know, we, we all have short memories, right? It's like the things I'm going to think of are all the recent things. I mean, I think I mentioned it a little bit, but like my mother-in-law is a, is really wonderful. And like, she gives me the gift of the ability to go for these long runs because she watches my children. <laughs> and so that, and not just watches them, but like cares for them in such a loving way. Mm. And so I think that probably is going to be like very up there as far as top gifts would just be like her coming in and uh, being with our kids so that we've gotten to go out on some of these great adventures. For sure. For sure. What is maybe one thing that you are not good at that you wish you were? Swimming. I uh, that I one like years ago, more when I was road running, I got a tibial stress fracture okay. and tried to like take some master swimming classes at like the UCSF mm. school. I feel like swimming is such good exercise. Zero impact. It's so good for your body. You can still be outside. And I just hate it. I don't like anything <laughs> water. I don't like anything about it. Like I just hate every second of it. Um, I wish that that was not the case. Fair, fair. If you had to eat one meal for the rest of your life, what would that be? Avocado toast, 100%. Oh, yeah. And I I actually thought about this. The tartine bread, they're like... they're With sourdough, yeah. Yep. With like some earth... I'm mostly vegan, so with some earth balance, avocado, some like good sea salt, and then like some chili pepper flakes. Mm. That would be... Oh, that sounds... Yeah, I think think that would be in my top 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 favorites as well mm-hmm. cool we're running to the end of time but quickly what's the next like uh running goal that you have i'm guessing uh, i'm guessing you still want to run long races yes so i've got kind of a short term and long term i've just been actually fleshing this out in the last week or two there's one fkt um that i i'm gonna try to go for next month so it's like a shorter one like a 50k ish it's funny i'm kind of superstitious so i feel weird saying it but i'm totally fine if i don't get it so i'll say it so uh, last fall i got the bridge to bolinas ridge fkt um, yeah so beautiful it goes through my backyard and then someone said a new one this spring which is awesome like the whole fun of fkts is like in my mind it's like a group of people moving the needle forward like somebody moves it a little faster which gets someone else to move it a little faster you know, and like keep pushing it and so I want to try to go back for it next month. Okay. Um, so it'll be that. And then I think I'm going to take off maybe like December, January to kind of chill. And then I want to do a hundred miler next year. 
So my goal is to do a hundred miler like ish of 23. And so probably start training for that like February, March is my. Got it. Okay. Short term goals, which eventually can all build up to like something more, more monumental. And just last question. If there was a a gigantic billboard Mm -hmm. and you could print anything to say to others, what would you want to put on that? That's a good question. Gosh, there's just so many, there's so many different directions that you could go with that. I feel like uh, whenever I'm a cheesy person, so be something cheesy, but, but I feel like it would be like, you can do this. Like just like believe like a, a, a believe in yourself type message. As a mom, I'm always trying to like insert messages into the psyche of my children. And, yeah. and I feel like <laughs> most of, most of what it boils down to is like, you can do it. Like keep trying, like you have this within you. Just like trying to like get it down into their cells. And so, yeah, it would be something along those lines. That's awesome, Carly. I can, I can imagine Josie and Villa. I'm just putting a leg here, but like staring into their box of, into their bowl of cereal and seeing the cereal <laughs> grain spell out some sort of inspirational message for the day. Here's <laughs> the day. You got it. <laughs> you got it. Awesome. Awesome. Hey, Carly, this has been such a fun conversation. I'm not sure how much of your life is, is, is public, if at all, but if people wanted to keep up with like your, your, your running adventures and your accomplishments, can they find you somewhere? That's a great question. Most of my life is not really public. Uh, Strava is probably my, the only part okay. of my life that is. But, and yeah, and I'm just my name, Carly Ursum. Strava. Got it. Are you, are you public on the gram? Medium. Okay. Yeah. It's a, cause it's a mix of like running stuff and my kids. So got it. Got it. But yeah, Strava is probably, probably a good way to find out what Carling is up to on a basis. Got it. Carling, it's been such a fun conversation. I hope to have you again sometime soon. Thank you. Maybe, maybe we'll get you out here for a, a hike or a, a little run. Yes, yes, yes. I, I think I would love that. Have a great day and hope yep. to hope to meet in person sometime soon. That's it, folks. Carling does seem to do it all. And while I won't be running a 100-miler anytime soon, I did come out inspired and hope so did you. Thanks for tuning in. And until next time, stay ageless.